And as I opened the garage, I watched them pull the trigger and shoot my dog. And so I like got out of the car and like felt my knees and I'm nine months pregnant. And he, you know, yelled at me that I need to get up. I was making a scene. Somebody's going to call the cops. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Santagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out. Our email is oplpodcast. Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to spell it out. Oplpodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. Just send us an email and we'll get back to you. Today, we're speaking to a woman who is a survivor of extreme domestic abuse at the hands of her own fiance. She's going to discuss how she was kidnapped, held hostage at gunpoint, and how she fought to escape, and also why the justice system may never let her truly be free from her abuser. But we've got the guests on the line. And first of all, just thank you so much for reaching out to us and coming on the show today. I really appreciate you helping me share my story. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk to survivors of abuse on this show, I think the most important insight that we get is kind of how to identify early red flags. Uh, Mm -hmm. So can you just walk us through who was your fiance when you first met him? What type of person was he? And in hindsight, uh, what were some of the initial red flags that you noticed? So I met what would be my future fiance at a friend's birthday party. And um, he, I had just gotten out of a very long term relationship uh, with a guy that I felt was a little bit immature. And so when I met him, he had a really great job and had his own place. He had a motorcycle, which I thought was very cool. And I just thought he was seven years older than me. So I thought maybe being in a relationship with someone older might be better and more mature. Okay. And, uh, so when you started dating him, um, you know, how, what was the first sort of red flag that you noticed and how far along into your relationship did you come across that? So I would say it was probably about two to three months into the relationship. We had since the day we met pretty much spent every single day together And I would say about two to three months in, um, he got very upset. I don't remember what it was about. I don't think it had anything to do with me, but he was very upset one night and he threatened to kill himself. Um, He had a gun literally in his hand and I had to push it away from his head and it shot into the floor. Um, I'd never been in an abusive relationship before and I just... I was a caregiver at the time I worked for a hospital. And so I have like a very, like, I need to take care of this person. Um, So now I can see that it was just a very manipulative tactic to kind of make sure I was there for him all the time. Do you think Uh, he would have actually killed himself or do you think he kind of set it up for the gun to go off? Well, I mean, this is kind of later in the story, but I came to find out he's also done this with two other people, the exact same situation. He also did it another time in our relationship. So I don't truly know. Um, His father actually died by suicide. So at the time, it definitely felt very real. I kind of see it more as manipulative now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... He 
threatens to, to kill himself and the gun goes off and everything. What is your relationship like, you know, from that point on? Like, is that, did it like shake you up? Did it change the dynamic of your relationship yeah, at all? I had never been around even like a situation like that. So I felt very like I need to make sure he's okay all the time immediately after that. I mean, I definitely was like, this is very strange behavior, but something like, I guess my feelings to make sure he was okay, overpowered kind of what actually was happening. Yeah. I've spoken to people before who are sort of natural caregivers or that's their profession. And do you, from speaking to some of them, it's almost like in those situations, in hindsight, it's easy to see the manipulation that's there. But in that moment, you sort of just kick that caregiving, you know, state into overdrive. And it's almost blinding mm -hmm. in a sense, because you know how to take care of people because you do it for a living. And you just sort of lean on that, which might distract you from, you know, some of the red flags. Yeah, at hand. that's exactly how it seemed. It was kind of a distraction from I'm having weird behavior to like, make sure I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So beyond that, uh, how did this escalate? And, you know, what's sort of the timeline of the relationship from that first incident to sort of the next big red flags that you remember? So within a few months from that period, I would say around six months into the relationship, um, we ended up going on a trip with his family and um, some of his friends. And he, I was super excited about it. We were going to Destin. And then uh, he kept accusing me the whole time of flirting with his sister's husband, which I was definitely not interested in him at all. But even if like I would sit next to this person on the beach, he would have a problem with it. And then all his friends would be going out at night and he didn't want us to go anywhere. He wanted us to stay in the hotel. And, and I just felt very like controlled that I wasn't like allowed to have fun or anything. Um, and then he would, you know, get very upset with me. Or just, I mean, the, the smallest thing, he'd get very upset about it and be like, I shouldn't even have brought you. I don't know why I brought you. And so that was definitely like second red flag, but he was very controlling. And was this also pretty early on in the relationship or was it kind of consistent throughout? I mean, it's pretty consistent throughout and it just seemed to progressively get worse. I think, um, I think you said six months, around six months yeah. was the family trip. So that's yeah. a fairly new relationship. At that time, yeah. did you ever consider leaving him or do you remember any you know, thoughts that I you had? No, I don't remember really feeling like I should leave, even though I knew I already was not happy in the relationship. I don't know if that's attributed to like, I just have always been in long-term relationships and so I'm like, you know, he's different. Maybe I need to stick it out. Or I, I knew in the back of my mind there was big red flags, but it somehow still didn't stop me with, you know, pursuing the relationship still. Mm. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm assuming that at some point there were more red flags that you kind of ran into before the, you know, 
Yeah. So we eventually ended up moving in together. Um, I would guess that was probably like seven or eight months into the relationship. Um, he moved out of the house he was living in and I had my own house. So we moved into my house. Um, but once that started to happen, he really wanted to start like separating me from my friends and family. I was 21 at the time. So, you know, just as how we met, we were out partying with friends and having fun. And I had a big circle of people that we would always go out with. Um, and then he would start deciding kind of, you know, telling me my friends were toxic, that they were sluts, they partied too much. Um, and then he would even say things about my family, you know, you shouldn't talk to this person in your family for this reason. Um, until finally, then he made me get rid of all of my social media, <laughs> which wow. at 21, I was, you know, all about Facebook at the time and, and making sure I had connection with my friends on there. And he said, you know, that he didn't have social media and so I shouldn't either. And so he made me delete all of that. So at this point, his desire is just total control. Like, it sounds like he's just yeah. setting rules and just kind of controlling who you communicate with. And that's always scary to hear when close friends and family kind of get into that mix of an abuser, you know, saying these people are toxic, they're not good for you, they don't have your best interests, and just creating mm -hmm. that separation. At this point, were you ever scared of physical abuse or was it sort of just all? Yeah, I know mm -hmm. by that time we had definitely had um, physical abuse. I think probably the first time was even just like four months in and he like pushed me or it'd be, um, I don't know, just, just kind of small acts that built up. And even though like knowing at the time this isn't a comfortable relationship, I, I don't know. I somehow like felt guilty for him because of kind of his upbringing and things. And so I didn't know really how, like, it was like I was too late into it. I couldn't really get out at this point. I'm, I'm all in it. What do you mean guilty for his upbringing? Uh, just he had a very difficult childhood. And so he would blame a lot of his behavior on that. You know, this is how my dad acted or things like that. And so... It's like, because I didn't have that upbringing, I'm like, you know, maybe that is why you are the way you are, which I felt sad for him about, I guess. And, you know, hindsight is obviously 2020. So looking back, you can kind of see this now. But at the time, did you realize, you know, how bad the relationship was getting? Was it like very obvious to you or were you kind of? No, I don't think I realized it until you know, things got a lot more serious. Right. Cause I mean, I think that's usually, you know, people's experiences when they're uh, sort of in an abusive relationship, they, they can acknowledge the fact that they're unhappy, but they don't necessarily know that they're in an abusive relationship until you kind of mm -hmm. either it gets, you know, much worse or you get out of it. Then you're able to look back and be like, Oh, that wasn't, you know, good. That's kind of why I was, you know, sort of asking that seems to be a, um, a, it's similarity. definitely a pattern. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like most abusers kind of have those three red flags. You know, they're going to accuse you of things. They want to separate you from everyone, which 
should be the biggest flag for anybody. If they're trying to separate you from everyone in your life, there's a reason they're trying to do that. And then just, you know, I think also with abusive relationships, it always starts verbally and, you know, some people might just verbally abuse someone, but I feel like a lot of the times it does progress to physical violence. Yeah. So when you reached out to us, one of the things that stood out is that you have a child with this man. So when does that come into the equation? So we had started dating, um, in June of 2013, um, by, I would say, let's see, around like June, um, I had seen a doctor. I knew I had always wanted to have children and she had told me that, you know, you're probably not going to be able to have children, which freaked me out. And so, it was more of me just wanting a child, not necessarily with him, but I knew I wanted a child and I felt like I, you know, I'm young. This is when I have to do it. And so we actually had tried for like six months to have a child and unsuccessful. And then I accidentally ended up getting pregnant the following month. Um, so it was no we, doubt in your mind you wanted to have that child then? I wanted to have the child for sure. Um, and I, I also, which you'll hear a lot in abuse stories, somehow a child's going to make everything better. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, I'm going to be the mother of his child. So maybe he's not going to treat me like how he's been treating me in a way. So now you have a child with this man, you're still in the relationship where does this turn happen uh, where it really begins to get scary and he's just kind of showing his true nature, you know, essentially all the time? So even while I was pregnant, um, there was a lot of different incidents. Um, He at one point had tried to drown me in a bathtub when I was about six months pregnant. Um, He would still hit me and push me pretty much all of my pregnancy and would continually tell me how I was so unattractive because I gained weight and it, it was a terrible pregnancy because of that. Just, there was like no support from him. Um, when you say he tried to, when you say he tried to drown you in a bathtub, like, so you were, you were fearing for your life at one point when you were six months pregnant. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And did anything ever come of that? Was that something like, did you ever think about like, I may go to the police or did you tell anyone about that? No, I, I never would like, because I'd never been in a situation. It felt so embarrassing that I had put myself in the situation that I would never want anyone to know. So I definitely kept it hidden from everyone. A few of my close friends definitely said something at the time, like, you know, it's weird that he's not letting you be on social media or go out with us or anymore. And a couple of my really close friends were definitely understanding what was going on, but I would deny it to the fullest. Yeah. And that's, you know, a a conversation we've had with a lot of people on the show too. You use the word embarrassment and we've heard that as, you know, a pattern in sort of the, the psyche of a victim as well, where if you kind of almost brush it under the rug or don't let anyone in your life know about it, it's almost as if it doesn't exist, even though you're obviously living that nightmare. Um, but if people don't know about it, 
maybe it's, you know, not as bad as it actually I is. I somehow wanted to protect him. I, I mean, it does, when you look back at it, I'm like, why would I have done that? But you just feel in the situation, you can't get out. You don't have anyone there to go to. So just kind of keep going along with it because you don't know how to get out of it a lot of the time. Did the abuse kind of coinciding with being pregnant change anything for you at that time? I, I mean, it was my first pregnancy, so I already was very worried the whole time. And I remember I had bought like a fetal Doppler, if you know what that is, to listen to the child's heartbeat. And every time something would happen, I would go check her heartbeat because I was just so scared that, you know, this something's going to affect her with this. And luckily we had a healthy child, but, um, it wasn't at that point, I'm, you know, nine months pregnant. I can't leave him now. He's the father of my child. I'm going to be all on my own if I leave him. So there, it wasn't like anything I could even consider like leaving him or anything at the time. It felt like. Right. And, you know, at one point, you know, during your email, you say that he like kidnapped you, essentially. Can we kind of talk about how that ended up happening? Yeah. So just to kind of go in a little bit of order, um, one of the first huge things that happened was a week before I gave birth and he had called me when I was at work. And I had a dog named Bentley at the time who I just loved. And he had chewed up part of his furniture and called me and said, you have 10 minutes to get home or I'm going to kill the dog. So I raced home. I left work. It's a 15 minute drive. I got there in about 12 minutes. And as I opened the garage, I watched him pull the trigger and shoot my dog. And so I like got out of the car and like fell to my knees and I'm nine months pregnant and he, you know, yelled at me that I need to get up. I was making a scene. Somebody's going to call the cops and then proceeded to take my dog and dump him somewhere, which I still don't know where he is. And then said I needed to clean up the blood in the garage before he got back. So then I gave birth um, six days after that. And You know, at first, of course, it's like happy because we just had a child and everything's good and he was being a pretty good father until we got home. And then, you know, he would yell at me if the baby would cry in the middle of the night because he had to work in the morning and it's my responsibility. You know, he'd never like change a diaper or wake up in the middle of the night. It was just kind of on me. Um, but the actual like abduction, I guess, or kidnapping is kind of what the police called it. I actually learned in therapy last week. That's what it was even considered because I just thought it was the worst night of my life. I didn't realize, like, think about it like that. Um, but it was six months after we had had our child almost to the day. And, um, it was the first time I was leaving my child with his parents And so we went to a uh, concert about three hours away from where we lived. 
and he had got very drunk at the concert, which he wasn't really a big drinker, but when he did drink, it would be to excess and he didn't really have a stopping point. So he got very drunk um, at the concert and ends up kind of like walking off. And we're with a big group of all his friends, which were all men. I was the only girl there, which is kind of important to him for some reason. And so I asked one of his friends, do you think I should go and try and find him? Because the concert was ending. And he said, no, I think you should stay here. We're going to lose you both. We end up finding him. Everything seems fine. We get back to the hotel room. Um, we're in a separate hotel room from his friends. And I shut the door and just got like a huge pounding feeling in the back of my head. And I didn't even know what it was. And I turned around and saw that he had like, with his fist kind of hit me over the top of the head. And I was like, what is going on? And he said, you ditched me for my friends. You're such slut. You know, you, you shouldn't have been with them. You should have been with me. And I'm trying to explain, you know, I didn't know where you went. We didn't want to both get lost. It, it wasn't anything like that. And he proceeded to just continually beat me in the hotel room. There was just like blood all over the hotel room. So I'm thinking someone's going to come in here and just think someone got murdered. And then this is about one or two in the morning. And he said, we're going home, which is three hours away. And I'm like, no, like I'm not riding with you. You're drunk and I'm scared and I don't want to leave. And he didn't give me much of a choice. And so we walked down the hall. He made sure I didn't like say anything to anyone. We got in the car and my mind just kind of started spinning um, about like what I could do. Cause I was definitely felt like he was going to kill me. So we pull out of the hotel and there's like a stop sign and I see a gas station that's probably like 200 yards away. And I'm like, I am going to jump out of this car and sprint to that gas station as fast as I possibly can. And I jump out of the car. I probably get about 50 feet and he jumps out and drags me back to the car. So then I'm now stuck in the car with him and he's even more mad because I tried to run away and basically in his mind, just tell on him. So he just, for the entire three hours proceeded to keep hitting me. He punched me in the face and broke my front tooth out <laughs> and then uh, would burn me with like cigarettes while he was smoking on the way home. So we ended up getting home around like 5 a.m. My face is just a mess. And he's like, you cannot go pick up our daughter in the morning from my parents' house like that. And I'm telling him, well, no, I, you know, it's the first time we've ever left our kid. They're going to think it's very strange if I don't come with you to pick her up. And he's like, you're, you're not going. And they kind of knew that was a red flag and ended up coming over later that night. But he had made me put a bunch of makeup on to make it look like nothing happened. And, you know, after this occurs and his parents leave, you know, what are the following days after a a night like that sort of like? So I end up, you know, it was a Sunday when we had gotten back and his parents had come over um, and I go to work 
Monday morning, just cake on makeup, trying to hide it. I work with all nurses. So of course, immediately they're like, oh my God. And I said, well, I fell and hit my face on a bathtub. And they, they knew, I mean, they wouldn't say it to me, but they definitely knew and made me go to the emergency room because they were worried I'd have like a brain bleed or something like that. And I called him to tell him, you know, my work's making me go to the hospital. And so he came up there and, you know, was like, they can leave. Like I'm here with you now. And they did not want to leave, but you know, I guess they, they didn't really know what to do either. Was the moment in that story that you tried to escape the car and go to the gas station, was, was that a turning point for you? Was it sort of planted yeah. in your mind now that you were going to look for an opportunity to get help or get out? Yeah, it definitely was, especially it this sounds crazy, but not even the instance of that happening, but the next day knowing that someone else knew I was in that situation, that for some reason made me want to try and get out of it more because I'm like, well, now someone knows. Mm -hmm. So then I'm going to look bad to everyone if I don't get out of this relationship. It wasn't even about like trying to preserve the relationship or anything. It was just about, I don't want other people to know because they will, it, it, again, it's just embarrassing. That's interesting. Are you referring to the the nurses at your job? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that sort of broke a day. seal of, okay, these people are, it's probably pretty obvious what's going on here. And that sort of mm-hmm. gave you the confidence to want people to know at that point? Um, I didn't, I definitely did not want people to know, but I knew a lot of them already did know. So I, it started kind of ruminating in my mind that, okay, like I need to probably do something, but I really didn't know what to do at the time. I didn't make a whole lot of money, you know? Um, and I was, that was a fear of like, you know, we split all the bills for my house. So if we break up, can I afford to do this by myself? I've got a six month old. It, it, that kind of kept me in it, I guess, for a couple more months until I would say, I mean, we still continued to fight, but the last and like final fight, um, definitely was like, okay, now I'm done. I used to feel like I had to choose between having a great night or having a great next day. But now I don't have to choose. I can actually have both thanks to Z-Biotics, specifically Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, that alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. So Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic produces an enzyme that breaks this byproduct down. So just remember to make Z-Biotics pre-alcohol your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you will feel your best tomorrow. Personally, when I have Z-Biotics pre-alcohol, I 
find myself totally being able to function the next day. So I can go out and drink knowing that the next day I'll be able to go to the gym. I'll be able to show up here at the studio and be 100% present and ready to go. And I find myself enjoying the night out even more knowing that I'm not going to feel terrible the next day like I used to. And Thanksgiving is right around the corner. So make sure you stock up on Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic before the feast and you will absolutely be thankful that you did the next day. And you can go to zbiotics.com slash OPL to get 15% off your first order when you use OPL at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash OPL. Use the code OPL at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and for our good times. Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you actually, you know, get to the point where, and also how, you know, from someone who's like this, very abusive and controlling, how did you end up leaving this person and what exactly did you do to make sure that it was like kind of done for good? So the last fight um, we had was in February of 2016. So my daughter was almost one years old. So it took from September to about February for me to finally get out of the situation. Um, But I had received a text from one of my male physical therapists I work with about a patient late at night. He had seen the text and again thought I was cheating on him. And so he put a gun to my head in the bathroom and he held me there for a few hours and just, you know, telling me like he is going to shoot me if I don't tell him the truth about me cheating on him, which I wasn't. And then he left and I was thinking like, okay, this is finally over. It's probably 11 o'clock at night at this point. It's gone for a few hours. And then he comes back with a knife and like cut off pieces of my hair. I'm not sure why, but he did that. And that lasted, I mean, then he held me at the knife point, kept asking me for about an hour. And then he finally went out to go smoke a cigarette in the garage. And he was like, you're coming with me because I think he thought I was going to call the cops or something. So like, you're coming with me to the garage. And so his lighter didn't work when we got um, out to the garage and he went inside to grab another lighter. And I don't really know how I even like was like now's the time but I knew like this is my only chance right now so I opened the garage door and ran next door to my neighbor's house which I knew fairly well and again it's 11 o'clock at night um they have two kids so I felt terrible to like be banging on their door and waking them up but I was just banging so hard because I was afraid he would come out and again like drag me back to the house like the first time Um, and luckily they did open the door and they end up calling the police. And because he has quite an arsenal of weapons, um, when they called the police and told them that they sent the SWAT team to my house, which I did not know they were sending the SWAT team. Um, but if you've ever seen one of those vehicles, it's very threatening looking, it's huge. And that was parked on my front lawn. And then they sent about 12 different police officers to every side of our street to try and catch him. They were like throwing flashbangs, trying to get him out of the house. And they eventually 
figure out that he had already like figured out that I had gone to the neighbors and fled. And so then there was like a search for him and they were asking me like, where would he go? And I told him a couple of like his friends addresses and they ended up finding him at one of his friend's house. And so he was arrested. I think he only spent about 24 hours in jail which terrified me at the time because I'm like, he is going to be so mad because I felt like I was the reason he was there. And he was being charged for kidnapping and battery, abuse, unlawful use of a weapon. He's also a felon and not allowed to have weapons. Um, And then they released him and put him on house arrest um, at his parents' house and ended up he got a few years probation and had to take an anger management class. Oh my God. That's, that's where this, that's that all that happened to him, huh? Yeah. Yeah. He never spent more than 24 hours in jail. And even though he had violated his probation, um, during the house arrest, not nothing ended up coming of it. It was really embarrassing for me because the whole story got put in our local newspaper. So everyone knew, even though my name wasn't in the paper, um, because they knew I was dating him, they knew it was me. And I even tried to call the paper to be like, you have to take this article offline. I don't want anyone to see this. You know, it's all lies. None of this happened. And they're wow. like, no, we have the police reports. <laughs> We're not taking is, it is down. That the, that's the article that you sent us? Yeah. So it's still up. Wow. Um, so I found it online the other day. I didn't know you could still find those things, but apparently you can. Wow. Well, before we even get into the consequences or lack thereof, um, you're incredible for finding that opportunity and escaping. That was a relief to hear. Um, so that that's amazing. I mean, he essentially he held you hostage in your own house at gunpoint and for you to, you know, be able to escape that and go to your neighbors. Um, thank God. Yeah. It, it really, I don't know. It, I think you overthink a lot of the things, you know, why you can't turn someone in for this kind of behavior, but somehow once you get really put in the situation where you think something very bad is going to happen, my brain like flipped a switch where it's like, I have, like, I'm going to die. So I have to do something right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So all of that happens 24 hours in jail. I think you said a couple of years probation. Um, mm-hmm. What happens between you two now that, you know, the SWAT team has come, he's been, you know, arrested. And um, are you, still together is at the end of the like your relationship at that point was there interaction with him after that there was interaction i mean i don't think he realized for me the relationship was over but we also still had our child together it was almost her first birthday he was on house arrest at his parents house i think it was maybe four to six months something like that and so i would take her over there to see his family and see him and they had a birthday party over there separately because he wasn't allowed to leave. And so we would have interactions like that, which I always felt fine to be around him. If anyone else is around, I knew nothing's going to happen if someone else is around, really. It's only if we're by ourselves. So I would even after that, that, the, that last incident. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew he's, he's not going to do anything to me in front of his parents and he can't leave the house. So I, I felt almost like probably for the first time a little bit safe because I didn't feel like anything could really happen to me. And I would kind of try and smooth things over with him in a way of once this is over and you could come to my house, I don't want you to attack me. So he probably thought things were like okay between us because it's just kind of the front I had to put on to make sure he wouldn't try and do something else. So long, but, long term though, are, were you worried about kind of being in the same neighborhood as him? Yeah. So um, just a few months after we finally broke up after the last incident, I moved houses and bought a new house and sold my house. And I didn't tell him my new address for a very long time. Um, I would just meet him for us to exchange our child. Like uh, you can go to the police station here and do an exchange or, you know, somewhere in public that I know nothing's going to happen because we're in public. Also, he would never do anything in front of our child. So I was going to ask if you felt that your daughter was safe with him. I mean, in a way, yes, because surprisingly, he is a, a very good dad and really cares about her a lot. So I knew he's never going to do anything to her like this. But I'm more worried about her seeing any kind of argument or violence between us, which was the biggest reason that I wanted to not be with him. Not really for my own safety, but I was like, I don't want her like living seeing that this is how her parents interact. So you have joint custody even today? Yeah. So um, we had joint custody for quite a few years. And then I ended up going to a lawyer to try and get sole custody. Just, I never thought he would do something to her, but I also just didn't feel comfortable. I, we would trade off every single day. So I would literally see him either in the morning or at night every single day. And I hated it. Um, and so I tried to go and get a lawyer and try and obtain sole custody. And I brought all, you know, the documents I had. I've filed three ex partes against him. Um, and so I felt like I had like really good evidence of why I should get sole custody. And my lawyer said that in our state, it looks very bad for a mother to try and gain sole custody when the father's participating in their life, um, that he to the court looks like a good father. And by me trying to obtain sole custody, I'm basically taking her from her dad. And so she said, you know, you're really not going to get it. You need to file for joint custody. But at least, you know, because I was the one that filed, it would be a little bit more on my terms. Um, so we had to do that. And then she said, you know, and then if he because now it's in paper, if he doesn't drop her off at the right time or does anything, you have to keep a record of that. And if there's enough of a record, we can go back into the court and, and try and file. But he, he knows about the law quite well and knows that if he messed up, that's what I was going to try and do. So now he tries to 
pretty much do exactly what the court order is. And so we now still have 50-50 custody. Um, and you, so you're still seeing him consistently? Yeah, I see him, I'd say, instead of every day, it's about every few days now. Um, and, of course, my daughter is now eight years old. She doesn't know about any of this. Wow. Um, do you... Which, do you accept that outcome? Like when the lawyer told you that, like that, it's just, it's strange wording too. like to hear that a lawyer's like, it looks bad. Or I guess she just thought that you wouldn't have gotten sole custody, but I don't know. That, yeah, that feels weird. I, like, I, are you okay with that? It blew my mind. No, I mean, I, I guess I've become more okay with it because I, it's just where I'm at. So I can't really change it right now. But when she told me that, I was blown away. I was like, I mean, how how much more well, do I need to have? Yeah, what does a person have to do? Right. And he actually also has another child um, who's much older than my child and has no real relationship with him, is actually in court currently with his ex over child, or over, uh, child support. So I knew when I filed, I was like, I'm not even asking for child support. I am not going to try and deal with that with him because that'd be a whole other thing. So I feel like he definitely got off easy. He got everything that he wanted. He has been in jail multiple, multiple times for a lot of pretty crazy things and just seems to always somehow kind of slide out of it. He doesn't really get punished much and he knows that. I, I hate that that is a common outcome from some of these stories, you know, a lot of these stories that we've heard and that is frustrating, but you know, the fact that if you feel safe right now and you feel like your daughter is, you know, safe and, and in a good place, then I, I suppose that's the most that you could ask for, but that's yeah. just, it is, it is, you know, you've obviously had a lot of time to process and we're just hearing it for the first time. And that is just so mind blowing every time when it just makes you wonder, like I said, like what a person has to do to get consequences, like real yeah, consequences I mean, and make sure that you don't have to see this person or that if you don't want to, as the mother who did nothing wrong, that you don't have to share your child with him. That's crazy. You, you would, I mean, before this whole situation, that's how I would have assumed that it worked, but court and, um, child custody is a lot more complicated. I ended up finding out than I ever would have expected it to be. Um, I mean, I am glad that now I, I definitely feel safe and I feel safe around him to an extent. I, he still has very bad anger issues. So, uh, well, this kind of leads to the last part of the story, but, uh, in 2020, I ended up getting into a relationship with one of his when we were dating best friends they are no longer best friends um he truly kind of hates him as a person now and so he definitely makes me feel a lot more protected so a lot of times i will make him go with me still to exchanges just so i have somebody there oh so you're in that relationship currently yeah. Yeah. We've been together for about three years. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, uh, 
I mean, upsetting and kind it's of a shocking. tough pill to swallow, as yeah, they say. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, like that. But, I mean, like Greg said, we're kind of, I mean, obviously happy that you were able to kind of get out of that and you're making sense and doing what you can for your child. Um, and it sounds like, you know, like you said, the child doesn't even know that this sort of happened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's incredible the fact that you were able to get out of that, I, you know, from... The little that we know about, you know, abusive relationships, there are, there is a lot of overlap. And, you know, one of those things is it's very hard to end up eventually reporting this or getting out of it. And, you know, the fact that you were able to do that and also are just honestly strong enough to just see this person all the time. A person who abused you is just like wild, insane. That is not common at all. I will say. Um, so, I mean, I, think you're incredibly strong and, you know, a, a great mother as well. And, you know, we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sharing your story um, because I do think, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, domestic violence or, you know, things like this, th we get a lot of emails from a lot of people uh, who are going through similar things. And this is, you know, extremely helpful for them to sort of hear from somebody who has gone through it. Uh, especially in the way that that you have. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I I actually go to therapy weekly now. I have my daughter in therapy. I don't think she even knows why she's there, but I'm like, let's just have you go just in case. And um, but I mean, it's it's really good to kind of tell your story, especially I think around this, because a lot of people want to hide you know, the, the domestic violence, which obviously I understand I did for many years, but as soon as you are able to start kind of telling your story to people, it feels like it pushes it farther away from being on your shoulders. And so I've, you know, anybody that's been in a domestic violent relationship, I mean, I highly encourage you to try and tell people about it. Cause it really, as, as long as you're out of the situation, it really does push it away from you. And, and hopefully if anyone is in that situation, you know, hearing my story might not give you a lot of hope, but the, there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. You just kind of have to find the right people to help you. Yeah. I think it is hopeful because you're here today talking to us. And if you didn't get out, who knows if you would be, and that's a scary thought, but mm -hmm. you are, you got out. And like Joe said, you know, you don't, have to do this. You don't have to relive this and talk to us, but you chose to, which we really appreciate. And I think what you just said is an incredible, you know, piece of wisdom to, to end off on, uh, and will, will help a lot of people that have maybe been, you know, wondering if they should tell someone about the situation they're in, or even if it's something that they have been able to separate from, you know, just sharing that story with others to kind of further remove themselves from it, to own that narrative, to continue to, you know, move on, and get help and process this like you are clearly doing. So just thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we, you know, appreciate people like you coming on to share these stories and, and relive these moments. And, uh, it, it really will help a lot of people. So just thank you. Well, I really appreciate it. It's been very cathartic for sure. Yeah, we hope so. And, you know, just best of luck with everything else going forward. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you.
That was a very intense story. I don't even... It just kept getting, like, worse and worse, and I just can't imagine, like, going through that. I am floored by the fact that she is able to face this man all the time. Yeah. Especially right after, every day. It should be just guaranteed that you never have to see this person again. And the fact that... Someone's a fucking G, dude. <laughs> like, it's crazy. That's but the crazy. fact you have to go through this process, just, you know, like, build your case, be denied, and then, you know, face this person, share your child. I mean, but I, I, I think she's in a good place. Um, That's the thing about, you know, uh, these domestic violence cases, it's... She did a great job at sort of verbalizing how everyone feels about it, where when you're in a relationship that is not going well uh, and there is violence or there's, you know, just abuse in some sort of way, it's embarrassing. It's mm -hmm. embarrassing. You know, I can imagine it's embarrassing to be, have to tell people, like, this is what I'm dealing with. And then you, you, you're embarrassed because you're like, the easy answer is like, just leave, but I can't right mm -hmm. now. Like, I don't know what's holding me in. And like she said... I feel bad for this person because of the way that they were brought up. And sometimes it's not something like that, but it's like they're uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol or something. So it's not them, it's the addiction. So it's very hard to leave a person that you cared about who's struggling with something clearly. Like, you know, and you can make up a bunch of excuses and like all the excuses in the world for somebody. Um, so that's why it's embarrassing because you're like, I can't tell anyone this because they're not going to understand it from my point of view. Mm -hmm. And then also to, you know, if I tell the police or I tell someone like they're going to go to jail, like I've just ruined a person's mm -hmm. life. And now I have to feel guilty about that on top of all the other guilt that I've, that's been put on me because of the manip manipulation that I've been dealing with. It's insanely difficult. And that's why also people who are always like, well, why didn't you tell the police? It's like, because it's not that fucking simple when it's mm -hmm. happening to you. You know, and I just thought she did a great job at verbalizing that part of it because the the mental part of like being in an abusive relationship is hard for people to understand unless they've, you know, gone out of their way to understand or have been in one themselves uh, or dealt with somebody who was in them. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one of the most important incredible. reasons why sharing these stories is helpful because it's not even just for you know, other survivors to hear or victims to, you know, try to find hope, but it's just for, you know, people like in our situation awareness. who haven't been in this, it's the awareness that it, it is so much more nuanced. It's complex and it's just not as simple as, Oh, that's obvious. Just get out. And the more people that know and understand that the better. And yeah, I think she did a great job sharing that. And then, you know, to, to see that she was able to get out of it. And now the message that she's pushing is tell people, tell people, tell people, um, just goes to show like it will be okay. Mm -hmm. Like if you get to that point and you can share it and if you can just know that it's, it's not on me to protect this person that's abusing me anymore and just get out, that is that light at the end of the tunnel. And she was able to, you know, reclaim her life to be honest. Yeah. And it's very important to talk about these things because, you know, I think the thing that keeps people in those relationships is I can't talk about this because no one will understand. Mm -hmm. And when you go on platforms like this and you tell your story, more and more people will be empathetic towards those situations and will have more of an understanding and awareness. So that could help, like just being aware and empathetic and open-minded to this is helpful to somebody. Mm -hmm. Because if we are more empathetic and understanding of uh, abusive relationships, 
maybe people are more likely to speak out about them. And maybe people feel like, okay, someone might understand uh, because, because it's out there you know, so much. And like we've said, anytime we have a, an episode like this, one out of four emails that we get is something related to abuse, like in domestic, uh, like domestic violence or something like that. It is so common. It is happening like you would not believe. It's insane to see the emails come in like that. So it is definitely happening out there. And, and think of how many people you know that have been in an abusive relationship and not like one where they just like get into fights and yell at each other. Like we're talking real abuse that is happening. Not that that's not, but I'm saying like real like dangerous situations that are happening out there that you don't know about. But it's so common for us to see. We know how common it is because we could see it all the time. Like it's important to, to speak about these things if you are strong enough to do that. And if you're not, that's fine too, because eventually, you know, if you are able to talk about it in hindsight, that is also equally as helpful. But I hope that everyone listening to this, whether you know someone or you don't know someone, um, you know, just be aware and empathetic to these situations and just have some sort of understanding because that could be helpful to someone who is in a relationship and is feeling like no one's ever going to get it. Mm -hmm. Like just... And if your radar is going off and you think you see red flags uh, for loved ones, friends, people in relationships, don't say ignore that. that. Yes, yeah, say don't that Don't ignore shit. that. Give people the opportunity to talk about shit and, and don't just, and if you keep seeing them, keep giving them the opportunity to talk about it. You don't have to pull it out of them and you don't have to be like, bro, I know what the fuck is going on. You can just give them the platform and be like, look, you can talk to me if you want to or whatever, or like, you know, in just more roundabout ways. But you just you, we gotta we gotta do better we have to <laughs> that's just all we can do um but yeah for anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show uh, reach out to us our email is oplpodcast uh, dot oplpodcast at gmail.com i don't know why i can't say that today uh oplpodcast at gmail.com uh send us your story and we will get back to you yeah we're still going through those we still have some slots for even this season so if you're thinking about it just reach out and uh we'll read your email and get back to you uh, also follow us on uh, TikTok, Instagram at OPL podcast. You could head over to patreon.com slash OPL show. And that is all. See you guys next time. <laughs>